You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we'll be getting all millennial in fab facts. It's our first encounter with the invaders from Mars in the randomizer. And Jamie chats with Scotland's own Troy Tempest, Kelvin Murray. Ooh, that's all coming up in pod 139. You bet your life of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. It's the Jerry Anderson Podcast! It is, it is. This hey. is the podcast about all things Jerry Anderson with your hosts, yes. Richard James, me, Jamie Anderson, him hopping on one leg for some reason over there, what Chris Dale. What is he doing? Some sort, what, of, oh. some sort of exercise, I don't really know. Strange. Uh, no. And we're here for the next, what, uh, 90 minutes, aren't we, Dickie, with all sorts of yeah. uh, Jerry Anderson-y bits, such as... That's true. Well, if you love Jerry Anderson, you've come to the right place, because we're here with... Chris Dale's amazing randomizer. A little later on, uh, we've got some newsy news, news, news because there's always brand new stuff happening in the Jerry Anderson universe. Correct. Uh, we've got uh, fab facts coming up in just a little while. Yay! Uh, we've got the first part of Jamie's interview with Kelvin Murray, uh. and of course, we'll be hearing from our lovely podstrons via email, Twitter, and Facebook. I'd forgotten about that. You're right. All those things, and probably some yeah. other random nonsense that we end up talking about as well. Probably yes. True. So. Richard, mm. I know you just want to get fab facts out of the way, so shall we do just that and <laughs> yeah. get fab come facts on, out of the way? Yeah, okay. go on. It's like ripping a plaster off, isn't it? Let's do it now. Exactly. Here it comes. Now, time for this week's fab facts. It's fab facts. Where I have a book of fab facts. I flip through the book. Richard shouts fab, and I read out a page of uh, fab factness for you. Are you yeah. ready for the flicking, Richard? Born ready for um, the flicking, Jamie. <laughs> Good, because I'm ready for your fab. Here we go. Hmm? Now, interestingly, this particular chapter of Fab Facts is chapter 14. Okay, Uh, why is that interesting? uh, Well, it's not interesting at all. Oh. It, in fact, covers a period around the end of Space 1999. Interesting. Which I know is one of your favourite periods of all things Anderson. Yes. And the the Fab Fact reads as follows. Hmm. Shortly after production concluded on Space 1999, along came a little movie that revolutionised the art of movie making. Something called Star Wars? I'm not oh, sure if you've heard of it. I, I think I remember that, yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. I think I do vaguely remember it. Few people have probably seen something to do with it. Anyway, mm. uh, as well as featuring many actors who had appeared in Space 1999, since they've both been filmed at uh, Pinewood Studios, uh-huh. the film was inspired by the visual look of Space 1999 as well. George Lucas, some yes. bearded chap who did something with Star Wars, I don't know. Uh, he did quite well out of it, didn't he, as well? Uh, I, I think he probably did, yeah. He'd actually wanted to use the special effects lead from Space 1999, Brian Johnson, to oversee the effects oh, on yeah. Star Wars. Great. But at the time, Brian was busy on the second series of Space 1999, and so Industrial Life and Magic, ILM, took the job. However... George Lucas rejected the original ILM design for the Millennium Falcon 
because it looked so much like the Space 1999 Eagle. Did it? Yes. And there oh. are there are images online. Right. So they went back to the drawing board and came up with the iconic circular design for the Falcon that we all know and love today. Yeah. If you're wondering what happened to the original Falcon model, though, and what it looked like, you don't have to search very hard because it does actually appear at the start of the film as Princess Leia's blockade runner, the Tantive oh, 4. Was it Tantive right? 4? I don't know. I see. Yeah. Among the cosmetic changes made to it from the original were the replacement of the ship's forward section. Uh, in the final film, it has a sort of hammerhead shape, whereas in the original, the uh, it has a round cockpit section like appeared on the, on the uh, final version of the Falcon. Aha. Uh-huh. It was the insect-like cockpit section that Lucas felt most strongly compared to the Space 1999 Eagle. Yeah. Although it probably would have helped uh, to differentiate them if they weren't both named after birds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, yes, true. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I was thinking, you know, 1999 Eagle. Well, you add one, 2000. That's a millennium, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yes, you're right. Yes. Eagle. Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's any link in the name. Um, probably not, but it, it's a or nice you've thought. you've just got too much time on your hands. Uh, that, no, that's if impossible. That's, that's impossible. Yeah. Now, I know that George Lucas also did a tour of the effects stage for Space 1999 when they were working out how they were going to do space, uh, how they were going to do Star Wars. So yeah. I guess that's when he was talking to Ryan Johnson and looking at the techniques they were using. So Crikey. a lot of the ways they did things in Star Wars were derived from or inspired by Space 1999 anyway. But in this case, it became the sort of anti-cookie cutter for the design of the Millennium Falcon. And I'm quite glad it did, actually, because it's a very cool, asymmetric-ish design. Oh, yeah. I used to make it out of pizza cartons when I was younger. Nice. models. Yeah, beautiful. Now, do you think, was that Brian Johnson's I almost signed the Beatles moment? Do you think he might have looked back on that and thought, oh, well, no, because he did go on to the second film, didn't he? I think he was ah, uh, yes. uh, the special effects director there. And it, and did he get an Oscar for it? I feel like he might have done. Okay, great. So uh, yeah. it, it did work out. I mean, you know, Brian was doing some pretty cool stuff. 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, yes. Star Wars film. I mean, you know, yes. he, did, he did all right yeah. in his time. That's true. Yeah. yeah but there you go. Fair enough. Very cool yeah. that, uh, you know, Space 1999 influenced and sort of anti-influenced Star Wars in, in many different ways. Yes, I like that. Well done. Good. Well, thank you for that. On that note, I think that brings us very neatly to the end of this week's Falcon, Falcon Fact. Yes. yes, there we go. Oh, yeah, I do love the Millennium Falcon. I remember, I think Star Wars, because, uh, the, you know, uh, Space 1999 was very sort of clinically clean and pristine and everything was very white and, and sterile, wasn't it? And uh, I grew up watching that. And Star Wars was the first film that I saw where things were dirty. Uh, the Millennium Falcon rattled as it flew, and you know you could imagine bits falling off it. And the X-wings were grubby and grimy, and that was the first time I think I'd seen that on screen. Hmm. And I, I thought that was quite sort of groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. No, anyway, it's, well, just my thoughts. Well, the grubbiness is is a Derek Meddings derived thing, isn't it? Which mm. was then passed on to Brian Johnson. So again, I think we yeah. can take all of the credit for that from the worlds of Anderson. Yeah. Yes. Ex- exactly. I think we should just take credit for everything, really. And I say we. As though I'm part of that. Well, well, you're part of this, but, so you are part of that. There we are. That's how it works. 
Uh, you're listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. The greatest thing you can do for us is to subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. You can also uh, leave us a rating and a review and uh, click on the link and paste it in your social media profiles so everyone can get to hear it and they might join in and uh, and like it. You never know. Uh, <laughs> or we've not. also. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's very easy to get in touch with us as well. You can uh, simply drop us an email at podcast.jerryanderson.co.uk. I have a few emails here, so I'm going to dive in with this one from Ian Thompson, mm. who says, Good morning slash afternoon, chaps. Please uh, select as necessary. I'll take the latter, thank you. Yes, likewise. He says, uh, I thought I'd like to pass on a tale from this week that made me smile, and hopefully you and all the other Podstrons as well. Ian says, I have in my possession a Thunderbird 2 from when my son was a young lad from the 90s Tracy Island, which I used it to keep a couple of small items safe in the pod. And also, being as it's Thunderbird 2, obviously, and for sentimental reasons, I've managed to hang on to it and keep it in my bedroom. Now, last week, says Ian, my three-year-old grandson managed to find it and came downstairs proudly holding what he called Grandad's Plane. Seeing his excitement, I showed him by YouTube a clip of Thunderbird 2 taking off, which he was fascinated with, and got me to replay it several times. So next, I showed the clip from Escape from New York, where Virgil is attacked by the naval vessel the Sentinel, which he watched with me in awe. But when it came to the bit where two missiles explode under the aircraft and the tail section starts to burn, my grandson said, oh no, and ran off, only to come back 15 seconds later wearing his fireman Sam firefighter's helmet and carrying his large fire engine and he proceeded to try and extinguish the fire on Thunderbird 2. We had to watch this quite a few times to appease him, but when I showed him other clips of the other international rescue craft, he kept saying, no, Grandad, and we had to go back to Virgil and his near-death experience. (laughs) Suffice it to say, I think I have a future and a fan in the making. Thanks, guys, says Ian. Hopes this makes you smile. It did me. It is excellent and always nice to hear. Very cool. And also, he's clearly got good taste if his favourite is Virgil. Well, quite right, yes. Fab grandparenting, I think that would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> hashtag. A, a new fab, hashtag. <laughs> fab grandparenting. Now, can we, can we find hashtag great, fab great oh. grandparenting? That's a mouthful, now, I like that. Let's make that a challenge. Listeners at home, what's the greatest span in generations within Ooh. your family of Jerry Anderson fans? Can we have a great grandmother or grandfather and a great grandchild? That would be Let's great, see. wouldn't it? Yes, there's, yeah. there's a quest for you. Good luck. Yeah. Dan got in touch with a merchy, merch, merch, merch suggestion. He says, may I suggest faux postage stamps or poster stamps? You already have a lot of artwork that could be easily adapted into the stamp format. You might pick up two markets there, stamp collectors and ander fans. And I think they're pretty inexpensive to produce. It's a nice mm. idea, isn't it? Yeah. Little stamps to put on your envelopes together with the actual stamps. <laughs> Something to look at. I mean, really, we, we'd like to see another actual stamp set, wouldn't we? But uh, ha- Did that happen? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, there was a, there was it a, did, didn't uh, it? I think it was called the Genius of Jerry Anderson stamp set uh-huh. from the Royal Mail. Uh, that would have been 2008, maybe? Nine? Right. Possibly. Great. Um, yeah. So, well, let us know if you have those at home. Something of a collector's item, I would think. I've got some here. I'm sure you have. Paul Hyde <laughs> says, uh, hello, everyone. Ah. Uh, I have a complaint. Oh, what? Ready for this, Jamie? Yes. (sighs) He says, uh, while listening to Pod 138, Jamie, Mm -hmm. you said that nobody watched Joe 90. Correct. Well, says Paul, in fact, you're very wrong. A couple of weeks ago, us at the Podders Arms on the Facebook Podstrons group did our normal episode club when we're not doing the quiz. We at the Podders Arms found Joe 90 to be very good. 
It came across very well. And seeing as old as Joe when it first was broadcast, I have a soft spot for Joe. But one of our fellow podders came up with a brilliant thing. Going back to when the BBC did schools programmes, there was a programme called The Boy From Space. Anyway, the in question was called the something in question. Oh, it's a missing word there. That <laughs> doesn't help. Uh, anyway, the blank in question was called Beep Beep, and he was looking for his father. I jokingly said, this is Joe 90, after the result of being in the Big Rat. He's been brainwashed with all the missions that he'd done. Jamie, I think that you won't remember this, but I may be wrong. Anyway, complaint over. Have you got <laughs> any plans for pod 150? Anything big coming up? Keep up the good work. Love listening to you guys. And I have a good laugh at Richard. <laughs> Keep safe. Yeah. Yours, Paul Hyde. Fair enough. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I don't remember that 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 uh, the beep beep thing. Joe Nine. No, I, I, I mean schools program. I, I feel like mm. uh, you've completely made that up. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure, possibly. I'm sure it, it did exist. And uh, you know, look, each to their own. People, oh, sure. people could enjoy Joe Ninety. It's just that you know a lot of people don't, which is fine. <laughs> uh, and I would side with them. So for Pod One Fifty, though, now correct me if I'm wrong. That'll be kind of around mid-April, won't it? Will it? Right, gosh. And uh, I think there might be something happening then. And we're going to talk, we're going to hint more strongly oh. at that in the news. So there might right. be something sort of for right. around then that might be special. We'll see. Thanks for asking. How very exciting. Great. Now, I do have one more email, but for reasons which will become clear a little later on, I'm going to hold on to it and save it for later. Oh, okay. So, is, it, all is it edible? Is that why? No, no, it's not. No, okay. uh, no. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, do get in touch. Podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk. We always love to hear from you. Your reviews and your news and your personal experiences of watching uh, Jerry Anderson programmes. Uh, do let us know what's the greatest span of generations within the same family of Anderson fans. Mm. I look forward to hearing that. Uh, now, you mentioned yeah. news there. Uh, obviously, did, yes. we love our Podstrons news, but we also love our own news, otherwise <gasps> called the Jerry Anderson news. Oh, yeah. Go on, Richard, hit it. Newsy, news, 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 newsy, news, news, news. Gosh, an extra special well, sort of newsy drum roll there almost. I thought it uh, warranted it, yes. Okay, fine. Well, I've got a nice mixture of stuff for you uh, today. And let's start off in possibly the most glamorous location in the UK, Slough. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, you got me all excited. As you know, probably, Richard, you may have seen... Uh, Posts around the internet and uh, yeah. other stuff. In Slough, very recently opened at the Moxie by Marriott. Interesting brand name, Moxie, isn't it? It just yes. sounds a bit strange. Uh, I've but, not heard uh, of that before. They've opened a sort of dual-branded hotel, which is a, a Moxie hotel downstairs, the first four floors, and a um, residence inn, so longer-term sort of hotel, apartment-style oh. living upstairs. The downstairs part, the Moxie, has a Thunderbird theme threaded throughout. Oh, yes. And it's been my great pleasure to assist uh, Moxie and Philip Steiner, the general manager there, and the wonderful team of architects and designers in sourcing some authentic Thunderbirdsy stuff to fit into the Moxie's rather cool sort of uh, slightly hipster urban yeah. uh, brand. And great idea. They've been brilliant. They've taken it all in. They've uh, they've been as authentic as they possibly can while trying to obviously please uh, Marriott as the kind of... Um, the design and license holder and manager and yeah. uh, I went there 
uh, last week and they've done a fantastic yeah. job it was really lovely to see lots of anderson mentions throughout which is great and you know it's not a thunderbirds themed hotel throughout no. as such it's no. a it's a moxie hotel with a thunderbirds flavor um but that great. flavor is quite delicious <laughs> there'll be more on that soon i think they'll probably have an official opening later in the year because what a challenging time to be opening a hospitality venue Absolutely. like a hotel gosh good on I mean, them you mentioned yeah you mentioned long-term residences did you say yes on, on the top but in slough yes long long-term residence it's oh. yeah uh, and I've, I've, taste, well, I suppose. it's the sort of place that obviously uh, you know actors might stay in if they were filming at pinewood for example ah yes yeah. or in my spare room because it's only just up the road from me or or there yes absolutely that is the other so, option just putting that out there you know need a bit of cash <laughs> <laughs> please send your applications to podcast at jerryanderson.co.uk so yes we'll have more information on the hotel soon and uh, i think we'll probably be able to arrange some sort of special deal or package for Anderson fans should they wish to stay at this hotel. Whoa. So stand by yeah. for action on that front. Great. Another sort of bargain that we might be able to offer you, we are retiring a load more goodies from the Jerry Anderson store. We're no longer doing Farewell Friday. Our, we bid farewell to our final Farewell Friday last Friday. Uh, right. <laughs> and so now anything that's being retired and removed is going off to our ebay store just search for anton entertainment on ebay and um, you'll be able to pick up some bargains there it's the sort of last stop for those bits and pieces before they are retired forevermore so pop along there and have a look for some bargains now i mentioned just now before the news that there might be something cool coming up in say mid-april you did yes what's that all about i can't tell you very much about it but i can say that we will be announcing the something cool uh, mm. next week possibly on monday maybe later in the week but then we'll at least be able to tell you what it is which is uh okay. which is very cool and um it'll be something that we can all rally around a bit that's that's as far oh, as i can gross. go I we think. need that yeah Great. i think we do i think we do and, and, and yeah. it'll be something that doesn't matter where you are in the world uh it's something you'll be able to get involved in and, uh, and enjoy so that's that nice if you're looking to get yourself a big chief parker figure from Big Chief Studios. We've got a few left in stock and uh, the rather marvellous AC has done a very smart unboxing, which I think will be available on our social channels and YouTube. So if you're, uh, you're wavering over whether or not you should get one, then you can see the Parker figure in all its glory unboxed with a lovely. rather lovely uh, commentary and narration by AC. And speaking of AC, he's been very busy finishing off the last couple of tech talks from series two. I think the series ends with the Eagle at oh. the end of this week on Saturday so uh, go and have a look there but Series 3 has already been recorded and I believe is being edited right now so uh, oh, great. more tech Good. talks to come because they always go down a treat they do yeah there's probably some other Anderson news but I've forgotten Richard have you got anything before we sign off I have nothing before we sign off brilliant so because you've got nothing before we sign off let's sign off that's the end of this week's Jerry Anderson news that was the news signing off the news <laughs> There, nice. Uh, another bumper crop. I love it oh, so and, much. And there's there's so much stuff stacked up that we are currently unable to talk about. I mean, I've I've seen yeah. some things this morning, which right. which I so desperately want to tweet some frames from. Oh, but yes. I can't. And they're oh no, oh, I know but, that's but, good. But soon, I mean, I, but soon. Uh, yeah, I, I do see the odd post uh, on our Facebook group, uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash podstrons. People saying, what's happening to this? What's happening to that? Where's Firestorm? Where's, what's happening with Terrorhawks uh, reboot? And what's, well, 
we can't tell you stuff. That's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. I'm, I'm so close to replying to some of these messages and saying, well, here's the situation. But I can't. I can't. No. Can't say no. anything. No, it's just the way it works. These things, a lot of them take a long, a long time. And a lot of the things you don't even know about that are happening and uh, will be well, announced yes. in the next month, two months, three months, six months, year. You can yep. rest assured there is always stuff bubbling along. I mean, I, I, I can certainly say that i have very few spare moments uh, at the moment because there's so much happening so you could look forward to things in due course there's no resting Uh, on laurels here no no talking of resting on laurels though jamie are you currently sitting down uh always (laughs) right now take a deep breath because there's an email here from mike gray okay that he's the subject heading controversial post alert are you ready for some controversy um Uh, maybe mike says so after hearing on a previous podcast that terror hawks was available on amazon video Mm. i decided to watch the show for the very first time and after hearing so many positive things about it on the podstrons group i thought now was the right time to tick it off the list it's worth saying that i'd grown up with super marination as the biggest love of my childhood and that had transpired into a big fondness for both UFO and Space 1999. But, says Mike, after watching three episodes of Terrorhawks, I cannot seem to click with it. People may disagree, but everything seems to be a step back from supermarination. The puppets appear to me as merely puppets, which may sound silly, but in past shows they appeared as real people to me and still do. The model work, sets, voice work, music and effects all seem to lack that magic lifelike touch that their predecessors pulled off so spectacularly. Whereas I wouldn't say I disliked the episodes as such, but do you think it's the fact that the bar was raised so astronomically high by the shows of the 60s that I was expecting too much? I'd be interested to know how Jerry felt the show measured up to his past work. I'll definitely keep on watching, as I'm a huge appreciator of all things Anderson, so I hope it can grow on me. One last thing, says Mike. I loved First Action Bureau. I've been listening to it on my drives to and from work, and I can't wait for season two. Ah. That's from Mike Gray. Now... The reason I thought I'd read that out is this is living proof that for every person that doesn't like something, and that's fair enough, we we often say, there are at least a couple more who do. So over on our Facebook group, Adam Reed posted, I just finished watching Terrorhawks on Amazon. It's been a while since I watched the lot, but so glad I took the time to rewatch. Terrorhawks has always been up in my top Anderson shows, and rewatching just enforces that opinion. In a nutshell, three things make the show classic Anderson launch sequences and special effects, Richard Harvey's music, and the characters of Young Star and the Sergeant Major. Favourite episodes Midnight Blue, From Here to Infinity, and Play It Again SRAM. And also, Zach Reynolds posted, I'm so glad Terrorhawks is on Amazon that I gave it a second chance. I didn't know what I was missing. <laughs> so there you go. Just a light, nice little juxtaposition for those two very Absolutely. different opinions about the same show. Yeah, and I totally understand why it makes perfect sense. You know, you can't make a show which everybody loves. It, like in yeah. Joe, Joe 90 being case in point. Some people love yeah, it, yeah. And others not so much. <laughs> I've got a theory. I have hmm. a theory, as uh, right, Einstein on, says in Terrorhawks. I think for a lot of people, their accepted type of puppetry will derive from their first experience of puppetry in childhood. Yeah. So if you, the first time you see puppetry and see a still character, a sculpted character or whatever, whatever kind of puppet it is brought to life, that kind of wires your brain and kind of sets a future tone for the sort of puppetry your brain is willing to believe in. 
because I, I would argue that there are qualities of supermarination that make the characters perhaps more human in inverted commas and there are there are qualities for the super macromation characters that make them more human mm. in terms of the way that the you know perhaps the faces move or the fact that there are no strings in super macromation for example so i think what we see a lot is people who grew up on supermarination don't find terror hawks as accessible in terms of the puppetry forget anything else in terms of style and content yeah but people whose first experience was terror hawks may not click so much with supermarination they may they may find the sort of uh, static nature and the the caricaturedness that comes from operation by wire to be a problem to access do you know what i mean and it's yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar it? in that in the states for a lot of people puppetry is something that is designed to to be humorous so to them mm. they look at thunderbirds and captain scarlet and think how can you take this seriously puppets are funny yes. whereas for them yes. terror hawks because it's more comedic especially once it gets going they find yeah. that more accessible so I, I think there's a huge amount of nurture at play in which show you enjoy or in case of yeah. joe 90 you know it's just spoiled by a little precocious brat uh, now then no jamie come on no no <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Interesting as well, Mike says, yeah, Mike says he'd be interested to know how, how Jerry felt the show Terrorhawks measured up to his past work. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Did he ever think in those sort of terms? Yeah, Do you yeah, know? he did, absolutely. I mean, he, he looked back at pretty much every show and, and found things he didn't, didn't like. like and, it. And I think <laughs> yes, in, yes. in terms of Terrorhawks, he was, they were hamstrung by the budget, absolutely. They had to mm, go through mm. different methods and, you know, even down to the way it was filmed on 16mm film, that it was it was mm-hmm. cheaper, it was budget saving. So he, he felt there were shortcomings because of that. So yeah, I, d- I don't think Terrorhawks would be his proudest show, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value and can't be enjoyed by the audience. Absolutely right, yes. So there we are. Two opposing views. Just thought that would be interesting to, to read yeah. that out. We'll be heading back to our, uh, our Facebook group a little later on with a few more posts. And also, don't forget, of course, you can tag us, hashtag us on Twitter, hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast, and tag me, Richard N. James, him, Jamie. Uh, I'm Jamie Anderson. Crikey, how many times have I said that? And then I forget it. <laughs> Do you want me to go and change my Twitter name now? Yeah. And uh, him over there in the corner. Oh, he's still hopping about, but now he seems to have... What? Oh, I see. I think he's doing some sort of yoga. Look, he's got his hands in a sort of a prayer position. Is ah. that a lotus or something? Anyway, that's Chris Dalek, uh, and he'll be along a little later on with his randomizer. Isn't that tree pose I think he's doing? That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. He does it so well. Nice work, Chris. You're much more limber than I thought you'd be. Now, Richard James, I think it's time for an interview. Oh, yes. If you don't mind. No, no, good idea. And uh, this week it's part one of two with Kelvin Murray. Now, you may not know Kelvin because he's uh, he didn't work on the shows, and... Uh, He's not, uh, he's not off the telly or anything like that, but he does have a rather fascinating job and has a really interesting kind of way into that job inspired by the worlds of Jerry Anderson. Right. So Kelvin is the Director of Expedition Operations and Undersea Projects for a company called EOS. Ah. He's a really fascinating guy, and uh, I ended up christening him during this interview as Scotland's Troy Tempest. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> You're going to find out why in due course. Um, okay. But I just thought I'd read this because it, it sort of shows the level to which Kelvin is respected in the expedition and undersea industry. Kelvin's various adventures have been recognised by being elected as a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and a fellow of the interna- oh, sorry, a fellow international of the Explorers Club. For his Arctic work and projects with indigenous communities, he was recently also made a Fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. So wow. a 
highly respected man of all things expeditionary. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, it makes you think, what have I done with my life, I, doesn't it? Really? I know, I'm not a fellow of anything, just a, yeah, no. just a, just a fellow. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yes, here comes Kelvin talking about all things Anderson and expeditions. Uh, hello, my name is Kelvin Murray, and uh, my job title is Director of Expedition Operations and Undersea Projects for a company called EOS Expeditions. And we run... Uh, private vessel expeditions all over the world, um, primarily for super yachts and private vessel owners, uh, but also some specialist projects. And uh, I've been doing this now, working globally for, ooh, what was it now? 15 years, something like that. Nice. It's a very Anderson sci-fi sounding job title and a sort of range of, uh, of aquanaut type activities. So I'm I'm sure we'll find some sort of points of inspiration in the in the chat, Kelvin. What inspired you initially to reach out to us? Can you remember? I, I, I remember getting an email from you, just giving you giving us a sort of general bit of summary and praise, which is always nice. Uh, <laughs> well, I I'd been looking at the store website, and I have been a, a big fan since uh, I was a tiny little person, which was quite a long time ago, <laughs> and the uh, it was. I was like, wow, love all the kit. So, and because of my job and, and everything in my association with the various different projects, I was like, oh, I've got to get myself a Stingray t-shirt. And, <laughs> and I also got a Thunderbird 4 print, which is up in my kitchen now. Awesome. And that kind of thing. And, then, and so because I'd made the purchase, uh, I got a lovely email back saying, hey, welcome to the store. And uh, it was all very friendly. So I wrote back just basically saying, well, you guys have... Uh, uh, you guys have been with me for a very long time and you just may not know it. And possibly, you know, what anything, everything that happened through uh, the whole Jerry Anderson universe uh, might have brought me to where I am today and what I'm doing. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear that. And I'm, we'll happily take all the credit and find out the full story <laughs> and inspiration as we have a chat. But well, you've already said you're a Stingray fan. You've got Thunderbird 4 uh, vehicle print up there somewhere. So where where does uh, your love of everything Anderson start? What's what's your first memory as a wee nipper? It's definitely Stingray, and it's definitely the underwater stuff. And for some reason, underwater has always just stuck with me. And uh, I can remember very clearly sitting in my my granny's house actually, <laughs> and. There's a bit always in the opening titles of Stingray that I always remember where the two subs are, the Stingray is being chased out of the water by a mechanical fish, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And I'll, and I, I, the reason it stuck with me is because I always wondered, it's like, wow, is that even possible? You know, and uh, <laughs> uh, but in later on, as I realized, you know, the laws of physics don't really apply when it comes to ah, such a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but that, you know, I always find that really fascinating. Wow, submarines chasing each other, and look at all these amazing undersea worlds and that kind of thing. And I, I've, I've always, always been bitten by uh, the underwater bug, so to speak. So this just completely tuned into me. Yeah, I it was, it was, loved it. In terms of contemporary telly at the time, what what else was on for kids? What else was on that you were watching at the same time as Stingray? Do you remember? Oh. Or was it just all about uh, Stingray? Nothing else mattered. You no, know, I think there would have, well, at the same kind of time I would have had, so there would have been Stingray and Thunderbirds 
but I also remember there was other things like you know Jamie and the Magic Torch. Yeah, you remember yeah. that. Uh, well, you would like to think so with your name. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, Jamie, uh, Trotton and the Wheelies, I was also a big fan of. But, I mean, this is when I was okay. like, tiny, tiny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tiny, tiny wee. But, no, there seem, does seem to be a recurring theme that I was a fan of the, the Anderson stuff, you know, yeah. uh, right through. So, Captain Scarlet and then into Space 1999 and um, uh, UFO. And then, <laughs> and then when, when Terrahawks came along, Rather, maybe slightly cruelly, um, we started referring to my grandma as a Zelda because whenever <laughs> she got up in the morning, she had this like big crazy hair, and uh, yeah, I mean, she took it all she took it all in good humor. But we used to call you know we used to call her Zelda. Yeah, teachers, grannies, and aunties all had that. So it wasn't <laughs> just you. You shouldn't feel too cruel. Okay, good, good. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then, I, you know, and then after that, I, I sort of like gig, grew up a bit more and got out in the real world and uh, into and work and that kind of thing. Things sort of like began to tail off for me then. But it was very much a big part of my childhood and yeah. uh, and my my younger teenage years. So, but you, yeah. I mean, you compare shows like the Stingray and Thunderbirds, Children of the Wheelies, and Jamie's Magic Torch. The the scale and the scope and the ambition and the the look of it are, it's just so wildly different. I'm assuming that it's the it, it was the realism an important part of you getting into the underwater stuff. I mean, the the model work and the the physics. I know we're saying that the laws of physics are ignored for the terrorfish and uh, stingray chase, but what do you think a show like Stingray would have had the same effect on you had it been a, a you know two D cartoon? No, I think it was. Uh, I think it was relatable. You know, you and and uh, when I think of things like. Uh, you know, the Thunderbirds and how they would, you know, transport themselves from the from the lounge area there, you know, th- you know, spinning around in the paintings and going down in the chutes and things like that. I mean, you know, you could almost feel yourself doing that kind of thing. So I think with these sort of these, even though they're they're puppets and they're they're clearly puppets, you can still, you know, relate to them and you can still put yourself in, in their shoes. Whereas I, d- I don't think you have the same thing with, a, you know, an animated cartoon and, and so on. Uh, and funny enough, my my kids are are seven and four, and when I showed them the uh, uh, some of the old Thunderbird stuff, like like you know, this is your this is your introduction to it. My my son, who who's he's a bright lad, and he's very impressionable, and he's very well, you know, he's he's seen done a lot of different things, and, and he reads like a you know maniac. He was his words straight out of his mouth was, "This is awesome." You know? <laughs> So, despite living in a world of you know iPads and, and and Kindles and technology and 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 books and adventure movies and you know and all this kind of stuff, it still strikes a chord. It still you know you know works really really well for for kids, and so it's it's obviously as fantastical as it is, or or um, you know otherworldly in many ways. It's still completely tunes into kids and, and it completely uh, uh, creates a, an amazing universe for them to explore. So, so I'm really pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right I'm too. Really pleased. I, feel, I feel like I've done a bit of a duty as a father, you know, sort of like passing on to me. Yeah, it was, it's what we refer to as fab fab parenting, basically, if, you, if you're if oh, you introducing the nice. kids to, to classic Thunderbirds. So, but how was that experience for you then, watching the classic alongside them, other than feeling the pressure of, oh, I hope they like it, oh, but does it does it change your 
your viewing experience of it? Do they latch onto different things to you, or, or you, is it sort of a unifying experience watching it with the kids? Oh, definitely unifying. I think it's you know it's almost like I'm seeing my childhood happening again, you know, vicariously through my through my kids. So it's um, yeah, it was actually really I don't know, reassuring is the right word, or <laughs> you know, but it, yeah, it had a profound it had a profound effect, you know, to to see the, to see him get so excited, yeah, you know, about it, and um, yeah, yeah. And, and when he saw the Stingray T-shirt, he was just like, "I am so jealous." <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll we'll have to uh, sort out a kids' version of that uh, ASAP <laughs> after this. And, and it's it's not often that we I'm able to talk to somebody who's who's recently showed the shows to their kids. So I'm just I just want to ask you one more thing, and then we'll we'll get back onto your your personal experience, Cohen. Are they, in terms of the puppets, do they give you any reaction to them because it's it's really interesting in the UK we're generally culturally a bit more used to puppetry, but outside of the UK, puppets are only used, you know, often for comedy, particularly in the US. I mean, Team America and uh, a few other things I've seen recently, sort of Comedy Central using puppets purely for comic effect. So therefore they don't have the same relationship to it because Stingray and Thunderbirds take themselves relatively seriously. So what was their reaction? Or did it not even come into the conversation? No, we, so... I mean, it's going to sound a bit like proud daddy kind of thing, but my son is a reading age of about of about twelve. Oh, great! Um, Smart lad. Uh, he's an advanced learner, and you know all this kind of thing. So we 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 take the time to explain things because he can, he, you know, he sees he sees what's going on. So uh, we explained about them being marionettes, and and you know that and that had been you know expanded into super marionation and da, 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 you know all that kind of thing. So he got all that. And, but it didn't matter. He, it was just like it's a it's an amazing story. It's this happening. There's this action. Blah 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 blah. blah. You know. So it's. I think it would have been as you know as impactful if had it been sort of you know modern live action with all the CGI effects and and this that whatever. So mm-hmm. it's a, no. It's still had a, a big impact. My and my little uh, four year old uh, daughter. She just kept saying, "Is he a body? Is he a body? Is he a body?" <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 he's not a body. No, they're not all bodies in this. Sometimes they're just people that need to be rescued. Is he a body? No, no, he's just a... <laughs> so, so there was a lot of that going on. So no, they, they they were just completely absorbed. Awesome. Well, I hope you can continue to enjoy more episodes, and that's pretty awesome. So you, when you spoke about the Stingray, first of all, it's all about the vehicle and the underwater stuff. So mm-hmm. I, know, I know a lot of people the visuals and the vehicles are almost characters in themselves. They're, they become mm. so important. You know, there's in Thunderbirds, Terror in New York City, there's a scene where Virgil is shot down by the US Navy and the crashing of Thunderbird 2, people remember really, really vividly, almost as vividly as as the opening episode of uh, Thunderbirds with the fire flash coming down and the elevated cars. But I think a lot of people, they don't actually care that much about Virgil. They're more worried about Thunderbird 2. You know, it, it becomes something really meaningful and and precious is is that something that strikes a chord with you or did the characters actually make as much of the uh, the series as, as the vehicles now, that's an interesting one the, the i think i connected much more i maybe not connect or i understood or i i tuned in to the stingray characters a lot more than i did the tracy family ah, for example interesting and when it came to thunderbirds it's as you say it was the different vehicles it's a good, it can name and describe all the different vehicles, but 
probably couldn't tell you, you know, which Tracy brother was was flying or controlling which which one. <laughs> you know, they were just like the, the the pilot, you know, so to speak. Yeah. But with, uh, I don't know, I think I think maybe Stingray was a bit is a bit more character driven, you know, and you had these very very distinct personalities of you know the square jawed Troy Tempest and this mysterious <laughs> uh, you know Marina, and then the sort of like the comic sidekick phones and that kind of thing. So. And uh, yeah, and then on the unusual things like you know, the, the, the if you think about the the gruff commander, I can't remember his his name. Commander Shaw. Come on, Commander Shaw. Of the of Marineville, and and um, uh, he was in a it wasn't a wheelchair thing though, yeah. but it was a yeah, it, it was, was in a wheelchair. A, yeah, but it was a kind of a motorized yeah 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 thing. Uh, I, I, you know, which uh, if you think about it, these are all really distinct different you know what everyone wasn't all pretty and they weren't all sort of like you know um classic heroes and yeah. it, it, it was all quite unusual and having you know having a mute mysterious underwater living woman that, that's, that's just <laughs> you know so yeah no interesting interesting stuff and also the, the the love triangle aspect as well. Although if, you know, kids are not really interested in that kind of thing, and I, and I laugh every time my son sees kids, you know, like, sees uh, characters kissing or any kind of romance. He's just yeah. like, Whoa! You know? <laughs> and it is. It's just like, oh man, you're so you're so going to change. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, you know, having this love triangle between uh, Troy and Marina and um, what's her name, Atlanta. Atlanta, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Got to remember all so, these uh, these marine puns, surely, Kevin. If anyone's going to remember <laughs> these marine puns, it's got to be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, funny. I've got a couple of friends who are, whose uh, daughters are called Marina, and I, I should really ask them if they're. Uh, <laughs> you must. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. You've got to find yeah. out. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I definitely think uh, there are differences between different. Uh, programs i i think stingray very much character driven although although the sub was a really really cool thing it was a kind of a means to an end you know yeah, yeah. whereas i think with thunderbirds the i think that yeah definitely the vehicles themselves okay. I, I i always liked uh, thunderbird 3 you know ah. i wasn't really used that much uh, although i'm a you know i'm a thunderbird 4 person um, of course of course it's a uh, thunderbird 3 i always thought it looked the coolest you know okay i'm su- i'm surprised that thunderbird 4 didn't Automatically top your list and push all others out. Oh yeah, yeah. But if, tell you what's funny is is that with all of these things, I was always interested in the mechanics of how they worked. Mm. And you know, so I would look at Stingray's propulsion, for want of a better word, and I would go, right, how does that actually work in the water? Yeah. You know, and I would look at Thunderbird two, and I would say, it would have to be really, really powerful jets to get it to actually fly and provide yeah. any kind of lift with those wings and things <laughs> like that. You know, but I didn't, you know, say that's not real. I would say, oh, I wonder how that works then to actually yeah. make it do what it does and things like you know how how the how does the tail thing work on the the mechanical you know fish the terror yeah. fish and all, all that kind of stuff. I was so it was it was um, it, it was ammunition and and food uh for a, a hungry you know creative uh curious mind yeah you know so really loved it a technical a technical fascination a lot of people 
grew yeah. up with that and that that evolved over time so, so did that mean then that the the shows that were less underwater based for you held less of an interest i mean as captain scarlet for example did that hold your attention as much as those previous shows with stingray and thunderbirds it did but i, I, see, I even see even at a young age i felt there was some sort of moral ambiguity you know yeah. because i see remember in the, in the opening episode that it's the you know it was something along the lines of they're scanning us or something like, quick open fire you know it was like the, the, the yeah. first thing that it was captain was, captain black started the war with the mistrons it was the humans that fired the first shot absolutely and but that was a really interesting angle which they kind of never really explored <laughs> just made the mistrons cross for the rest of time yeah yeah but but, but again but it's it was one of those things that it, it really did make me think about, mm. uh, you know, our responsibilities. And, uh, you know, I I now work in, in areas that we are, you know, I say we like as an industry or as, or as a as a concerned party or stakeholder or something, you know, we're actively trying to protect these areas. We're trying to be sensitive when we go there and, you know, all those kind of things. I mean, these are really, really relevant things today. But, mm. you know, they were, they were sort of being poked that in a way you know sort of like uh, 50 years ago um, yeah by these programs so it's it, it's interesting it would be interesting for people to go back and and really look at it again you know i'm sure yeah. somebody's done some papers on them oh uh there have been books and articles and all sorts of stuff but yeah it's yeah. it's it is i always thought it was a really interesting thing it, but it, of course it all it starts with the Oh, let's go home. There's nothing here. We'll just take one more look over this last ridge. Uh, if only they hadn't, but yeah. Yeah. So post uh post back to Captain Scarlet, Calvin, I can tell you were already, you know, on your path towards becoming the Scottish Troy Tempest that you are today. Uh, so, uh, Joe 90, I'm guessing the secret service may not have made it to where you are. Uh, UFO. I mean, what you, you, you keep growing with these, with the knowledge that they were Anderson shows. It sounds like you were in a, you were in a period when actually, you know, meeting these advancing older shows worked with you as you, you were growing up. Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, uh, Joe 90, Joe 90 was the last of the sort of, Classic. The penultimate of the secret marination. There was the Secret right. Service, which was uh, Stanley Unwin as a secret agent priest, which very few people saw, and it was cancelled after 13 episodes. Very peculiar right. if you haven't seen it, but highly recommended. Bit weird. All right, okay. <laughs> Stanley Unwin. As yes. in, um, as the, the comedian the who spoke yeah. Unwinese. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was his that was wow. his special skill. Basically, dad dad met him at Pinewood once and was like, "Oh, I love your comedy. I must write a series for you." And created this ridiculous half <laughs> supermarination, half live action hybrid. Uh, yeah, wow. Check it out. There you go. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's new, news to you. But yeah, Joe Ninety really, you know, most broadly marked the end of the supermarination era for most people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I do remember Joe Ninety. I remember explaining it again to my son, and he was just like. Uh, wow, because of course he's in the secret agents as, as well. Yeah. You know, wow, it's a boy's a secret agent. But yeah, for me, uh, for me at the time, I uh, I watched that and I was interested in it because I, you know, obviously I enjoyed the other stuff. Mm. Um, but uh, it, I didn't really have the same impact on me as the as the others. But then I was into Space Nineteen Ninety Nine was the the next one. Uh, I would say for me, and that 
and I, and I don't can't remember at the time if I twigged that it was part of part of that whole universe. Although mm. it did very clearly have the the uh, Jerry Anderson you know name attached to it, and yeah. the, and the uh, it's the, it was the ATV. Um, I, yeah, ITC, ATV, Century yeah, 21, yeah. Group 3. Oh, yeah, all those kind of vaguely familiar distribution and production company names. Yeah, yeah. So I had so I had those different... Uh, but I guess at the time, I didn't really care that much, you know, because I was yeah. more interested in the actual programme and, and the content. Yeah, of course. And, um, and again, I really, with that, I really enjoyed the, I guess, almost the humans out of their comfort zone kind of thing and going forth and exploring because of course the other thing I was really into was Star Trek and the uh, you know Trekkie all the way none of the Star Wars nonsense <laughs> where you've got I find that humans being put into extreme environments is is a uh, much more you know sort of like fascinating yeah. and you know in many ways there is this, this whole kind of like moral or, or this this kind of inspirational thing where you know we're we're going off into the dark and we're you know we're uh, able to survive and overcome anything and, and so on but then they also make a few alien pals along the way and uh, you know that throws up these all these rather interesting ideas so so yeah i loved it and then of course the you know the initial premise of, of just like the moon being blasted off into space <laughs> it's like wow it, i just loved how imaginative it all was and it and it all seems so original and but actually almost believable yeah you know i, I never questioned it was, I was like why you know the moon would never do that the moon would never be blasted off into, you know da, da, da. no turns out from, from analysis by physicists it couldn't actually happen like that enough if they, if they had enough force from a, an explo- a nuclear explosion, it would disintegrate the moon, and anything less wouldn't move it. So there you go. But what right. every, every science fiction series has got at least one kind of gimme that you you're like, yeah, okay, fine. Well, you can have that. And now I want some more kind of logical, <laughs> sensible stuff. Ah, uh, Scottish Troy Tempest. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. More, more from Kelvin next week. Uh, I, uh, what did? It, go on. Was he happy with that? Yes, he was very happy. I think he said that there. He was. Uh, he's going to adopt it, but you know, he's sort of a. He's a handsome gent with dark hair, and uh, uh, yes, yes. you know, I'm sure he's a hit with uh, with the ladies and the mermaids yes. alike. So yes, uh, I'm sure yeah, no, I, there's much more of that. Really, really interesting chatting and seeing how, you know, childhood telly experiences can stick so firmly that they they do shape shape your future. Um, yeah, oh it's, gosh, yes. it's a bit like nominative determinism, except in this case, it's yeah. um, it's kind of content determinism. Yeah, it changes your life. So, yeah, more yeah, of Kelvin amazing. next week, and we'll be delving into more of his adventures uh, and perhaps misadventures too. Very good. Well, I look forward to that next week. Uh, now, heading back over to our Facebook page, just to carry on uh, from a few posts that have been uh, uh, left there over the past week or so, uh, Zach Reynolds continues. Uh, he was the one saying that he was glad that uh, Terrorhawks is on Amazon. But also, he says, original Captain Scarlet and new Captain Scarlet, Stingray and Thunderbirds are all on Prime as well. He says, how did I just discover this? Ugh, I feel like such a fool. Well, that's it's all right, Zach. Calm down. But, Jamie, it made me think, has so much... Jerry Anderson stuff ever been available on so many different platforms there's BritBox Amazon Prime now as well various series you can see this stuff almost everywhere I would agree yes no it, it's a great time to be an Anderson fan and to discover it anew and people still are I mean it, it, yeah. Terrorhawks on Prime 
now it's not on Prime any, any longer, I should add. Uh-huh. Um, but while it was there, I mean, it was just getting tens and tens of thousands of views a week. Yeah, amazing, and, and just you know, people discovering it for the first time since they watched it in the 1980s, which is really great. So yeah. it's it just yeah. you know, I'm all for making these things available in the most frictionless way possible. You know, of if, course. if you want to watch an Anderson show on streaming, then you should be able to get it there. If you want to watch it on yeah. Bl- Blu-ray or DVD, you should be able to get it there. If you want to watch it on your mobile phone, you should be able to. Maybe that's uh, the thing that comes next. Let's see. But um, Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, Alex Pass said, uh, listening to the preview of Big Finish's new adaptation of Death's Other Dominion from this month's Space 1999 box set sounds very promising. Mm. Mm. What can you tell us about that, Jamie? It's out later this month, and mm. um, it's great, and um, that's about all I can tell you. Uh, we, we did some okay. extensive uh, story editing and adapting to to really make it work across the set. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy it. Cool. Great. And uh, finally, from our Facebook group, Kevin Hodge said, I just watched a cute documentary on 20th anniversary of Galaxy Quest. And one of the actors said he uh, based the nice aliens funny walk on Thunderball XL5. He said, puppets. Not quite the right name, but uh, uh, I very nearly dropped my cup, said Kevin. Was I the only one not to know? Uh, I think you might be, Kevin, because we, we covered this. We covered this on a Fab Fact right. about uh, ooh, thirty-seven <laughs> pods ago, I think, something like that. Yeah, exactly. So, and everyone could do that walk, of course, can't they? It's a, especially if they're a marionette puppet. Yeah, yeah, quite right. Or they've been in a show about the marionette puppets. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Like uh, I meant to mention this a couple of weeks ago because uh, Andy Dawson, who uh, originated along with uh, Gavin Robertson, the um, Thunderbirds FAB Next Generation stage show, mm. he had uh, as part of I think it was a, a mime festival, an online mime festival. One of his previous performances of something called Space Panorama was available online to watch, uh, but yes. only until the thirty-first of January. And I meant to mention it, so I'm so sorry that I missed that particular thing but if you do a search for andy dawson or andrew dawson space panorama i think you can still see some clips of it on youtube and uh, other platforms yeah. it's fantastic it really he uses his hands in particular to uh, tell the whole story of the the apollo moon landing in 1969 and it's, it's really interesting stuff i've seen bits of it it's very very cool yeah. he's, he's a master with his hands it's incredible stuff yes that sort of neatly segues me from one master to another oh what did you have got anthony ainley behind there have you <laughs> Oh, sorry, wrong side of master. It's actually Eric Roberts. Oh. No, no, it's uh. actually master of the randomizer, Chris Dale himself. Mm. And he has dressed for the occasion. He has dressed for the occasion. <laughs> so Chris uh, has got a marvellous randomizer and uh, he uses his marvellous finger to press the red <laughs> button on it or he gets somebody else to, which you probably will this week. And um, yeah. Uh, we're going to listen to him watching a random Jerry Anson episode any second uh, now. You will do this great favor for me. You will model for me at the premiere. Well, Monsieur Le Maire, I'd gladly put on a dress if that's what it's going to take to get you to agree to pressing the button on the randomizer today. Although I think Marina's particular body shape might be more flattering to your creations than mine, and not to mention much less nightmarish. Oh, the dearest girl, I would follow her to the edges of the earth. Excellent. You mean? I mean, if you press the big red button right here, I, as Marina's manager, can guarantee she'll be at your fashion show. Uh, probably. You will not be disappointed. I promise you, there will be a sensation. Well, let's hope so. Oh, oh you. Yes, yes, I'm sorry, it is rather a lot of noise. Let me just take care of that. 
Well, that's a sound we haven't heard for a while. What does it mean? I don't understand. It means that we have landed on an episode from a two-part story. So we'll be watching part one today and part two next week. Ah, I could never have believed it. Indeed. So, break out the champagne. Did I hear someone mention champagne? And pass me that printout, Francois, if you please. I shall commit my great secret to Pepper. Oh, thank you. Right, let's see. Ah, okay. What is it? Well, it's, uh... I hope you don't mind. No, no. I mean, it's not one of my favorite stories from this particular series, but... Alas, I'm the end of my wits. What am I to do? But it's also notable for being that show's very first episode. Oh, this is too much. Which, you know, is, is definitely something. Oh. <clears throat> so, without any further histrionics, here's Terrorhawks with part one of Expect the Unexpected. Watch carefully. But where do you suggest the top of the Eiffel Tower? Well, we're not really allowed to travel at the moment, are we? Oh, I need reviving. So, welcome back to Terrorhawks on the Randomizer and a two-parter. This is quite a rare thing for us. This is the uh, Planet Mars. series opener. A small step for us. But a large step towards mankind. And I have heard some people say that this, uh. One of the alien ships is approaching our base. This opening scene is one of the most dramatic in the series, which, uh. Languages. I think I'd probably have to agree with, actually. Our unarmed geological base. It's pretty effective in establishing Zelda and, and the rest as a credible threat. Of this planet. <laughs> whole base full of innocent people just wiped out of course it's all done with effects and voices we don't see the puppets which uh, I'm sure it was always intended that we never saw the puppets in that scene but uh, I do wonder if that's part of what makes it so effective it's a very dramatic opening for a series that uh, wasn't necessarily known for being dramatic, but also the effects work here is really nice. my stepping stone to planet Earth. Not just the destruction of the Mars base, but the, uh, the arrival of the fleet of ships themselves. Prepare for my first attack on Earth. No uh, explanation, of course, for why Zelda wants the Earth, but never mind. When is a house not a house? I don't know. When it's the White House. Aha. Uh -huh. 1,000 feet below the surface, the Battlehawk. Flagship of the Terrorhawks, an elite fighting force ready to engage the invaders from Mars. What do you think? Yep, Robbie Stevens picking up some uh, extra work as the narrator here. Mechanical metamorphs. Certainly offensive and as. Mechanical as metamorphs. I don't know. To attack. It looks like our first 1030. Exactly. Have a good fright. A stuff you. They're uh, establishing the uh, casual racism early there with Hero. Hawk Nest, 1010. And I. I don't know. What? I don't know. I was going to say some words. But now we have this lovely tree hawk launch to look at instead. So, uh. I'll just marvel in this for a while, because as silly as it is having Treehawk launch from the tree like this, which seems to be in the middle of nowhere, I've always rather liked liked that sequence. No idea how Hero gets aboard, of course. 101, this is Lieutenant Hero. I'm docking with Space Hawk now. See you on the flight deck. 
Tan Tan. I mean, where else do you think I would be? I'm always on the flight deck. But this is another nice scene as well. 101 smiling Hi, at you. Erica. My, how you've grown. Nice to see you, Lantana. Why, Cassandra, you look beautiful. You've obviously been talking to them, just like I told you. Yes, sir. You know something, 101? Dr. Einstein's theory is that my plants flourish because of the artificial gravity up here. And when I explain to him it's because I talk to them, do you know what he says? You're a nut. Exactly. So that's a nice scene establishing the relationship between Hero and 101, which is going to remain in place for the rest of the series. Um, they've got, you know, they were reasonably well-defined in that scene. Unfortunately, certain other characters in this story are nowhere near as well-defined. Um, case in point, I really hate this early Tiger Einstein puppet. Doctor, I have a contact. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. It does... It's. It looks. The puppet looks like someone's taken his head and just put it in a vice and crushed it, and that and the the jaw being um, very large and floppy on that puppet. I don't think this puppet lasted very long, thankfully, because he's not pleasant to look at. This is Space Sergeant One Hundred One calling Zeroids One to One Hundred. We have a contact. Keep your eyes peeled. And I do get with a lot of these. Um, Super Mario Nation shows and, well, Anderson shows generally. If you've got a good story for the first episode, then it kind of doesn't matter that you don't go out of your way to really explain... Must have a visual siding by now. ...who characters are and what they're doing there and what their relationships are to each other. If the story is good enough in the first episode, we can assume that we'll we'll find out the rest of that stuff later. So when you get a, an opening episode like this... Radar echo. I'm ...which isn't... ...open fire. ...especially the, uh, the, the show's finest hour, not by a long chalk... It is kind of disappointing. You you don't really care about what's going on. And you don't really care about the people either, so... The energy source, Captain. It's still there. Well, except for certain characters who are perfect right out of the gate, namely the Xeroids and Zelda. Unfortunately, the human characters never quite lived up. At any point. But the music is telling us something that does quite live up is... Uh, Hawkwing. You on the wing? I sure am, ma'am. You have a 1050. 1010. Again, no explanation of what this vehicle is and who the people are who are, who are driving it. But I do love the shot of... Not so much the, the whirlpool, but Hawkwing speeding down that tunnel. It's a lovely idea for a launch sequence. And I don't think the effects quite pull it off. Um, it comes very close. But the reversed footage of the water sort of piling on top of itself and then just that very small hawkwing wobbling its way out of the vortex. Um, I mean, the vortex itself looks lovely. The uh, spinning bit underwater looks lovely. But hawkwing coming out, I don't know. Even the sound effects weren't really supporting it there. Energy source approaching ionosphere at Mach 6. It's a controlled descent. Still no radar. And Mary Falconer doesn't get much in the way of a good dialogue or moments in this story either. She's another puppet who doesn't quite look there. All right, Katie. Here come the coordinates. 
fresh from the Rose Garden. Thanks, I'm on the sand. Which isn't to say that Denise isn't doing a good job because Denise is always doing a good job. All these actors are always doing a good job. Anything? I fired at nothing and guess what I hit? Okay, Katie, stay in that area. I may need you. Ten ten. Energy source not- I've always wondered with this show as well, when you see scenes in the Battlehawk cockpit. Side. 100 miles due north of Bangkok. There he is, there's Zero. Um, you see the the view directly ahead from Battlehawk, and it's just this long tunnel, which I've always assumed is meant to, you know, that's meant to be the, the upwards tunnel from when Battlehawk actually launches. So I don't know what this miles of tunnel ahead of them when they're landed horizontal at the bottom of the bay is about. Anyway, here we go. Just as the point of the episode is flagging, we introduce the Zeroids. Right, man. That's the avenue. This is it. Albeit largely in stop-motion form. <laughs> and straight out of the gate, Windsor Davies, as a robot, as his Sergeant Major character, it's just perfect. Equipment and uh, <clears throat> men aboard, Captain. Thank you, Sergeant Major. Stand by for liftoff. And it also helps that the Zeroids are just beautiful designs not that I not that I think Windsor Davies needs any help and now we have the Battlehawk launch uh, and I feel I can talk over these sequences as if we're watching them for the first time because this is what viewers watching this episode for the first time back in 83 would have experienced I kind of like the idea behind this launch sequence that they're so far beneath the White House but you've always got that question in your head what happens through everything in the White House um, all the furniture. We know it gets tipped over and thrown about. We saw that in uh, Terror Tomb. So, I mean, I would assume most of the house itself is uh, is just for show, really. Haiti, bring the Hawkwing to the battle zone. We'll need air cover. We're on our way. Hero, move into geostationary orbit. I want you to keep your eye on the battle zone. Ten ten. And I do get the feeling that this episode, this opening of, of Terrorhawks was a, a bit of a disappointment to longtime Anderson fans who saw it when it first went out, you know, expecting something like a, a glory day's return to the old uh, Super Mario Nation style. And they got this. Um, exactly. I, I think the show is more popular with either people who weren't aware of it when they first saw the show back in 83 or encounter with the new Martians tiger what do you expect or have come to it later I expect here we go I expect the unexpected because that's the title of the script I was also confused by that new Martians line it, it sounded like there were previous Martians but who knows who cares we are now in yeah, we even get a caption saying we're in Thailand. Which is strange because the show rarely went anywhere other than the desert or Badwater County. I think the, the most exciting place they went after this was uh, was Egypt. One of my men has just reported... Yeah, I got it. How are we doing? We are doing just fine. I think another reason I don't like that tiger puppet is because his face is so crushed, it shows off his teeth. Sergeant Major. More than any other puppets. My reconnaissance party. Sir, report that the area... Oh, that one-eyed glance over at Tiger. That's a lovely... These zero props are so... Oh, they're so lovely. 
But going back to the uh, location that we're now in, we're now in Thailand. Zero. Oh, here's a particularly hideous shot of Tiger. Energy source and report. Sir. And use reasonable caution. Expect the unexpected. Caution. Yes, sir. Numbers 13, 27, 35. Stand by for reconnaissance patrol. Yeah, it was always helpful to the show to um, have things happen in the middle of nowhere, in deserted places, because... Um, Sergeant Major. I would assume there just wasn't the budget to show a particularly populated or inhabited area. That's why you always get the middle of nowhere and uh, Badwater County with its five occupants. My worst enemy out there. And as the show went along, they did manage to pull in um, certain effect shots that... Uh, I, th I think of the, the nighttime city scenes in things like Midnight Blue and uh, Play It Again SRAM, TV City. That always looked quite nice, but... Uh, I'm moving us to Hill 28. You, could, you couldn't show uh, an inhabited area on this show's budget. It was rare, really, to see uh, multiple puppets in the same room. I think later on there's a... There's a, like a party scene in Space Cyclops and there are lots, or seemingly lots, of puppets there. And it's quite a shock. And away goes Terrorhawk, which, uh, I don't know, it looks quite nice in that one, um, one publicity photo. Otherwise, I don't, uh, I don't hugely see the point of this vehicle, though it does look, it does look nice close up, though. And the idea was that it could detach from Battlehawk and uh, sort of observe the battle site, but they didn't really use that feature that often. He's nothing. Zero, how we doing? We've located the energy source, sir. And what so I've waffled over a lot of what's actually happening here. There's an unknown alien energy source they've tracked from Mars to Earth. I can't see it. They can't see it. Zero, fire an energy bolt at the source. So. And it's a. This is demonstrating a, a power of Zelda's, a feature of of hers that um, the energy source is still there, but was rarely ever employed after this. And I get the feeling that it's introduced in this episode because they're planning to make more use of it, but uh, they never really do. What can you see, Sergeant Major? I see. I see a spaceship under a gigantic spider. It's an alien spaceship. And it is under a gigantic spider. Just what I expected. A it's an rubber spider. spider. Right, but the spider's not gigantic. The spaceship's minute. Yeah, Zelda's ability to change the size of her vehicles. Um, you would think that would be a, a massive advantage in, a, in combat against the enemy. I think she only uses it again once after this. But this is very cool. Flashing now, the spaceship is bigger than the spider, but not by much. Roll on and bigger again, and then it just fills the sky. It's very cool. Roll on. Yeah, if nothing else, this show really establishes Zelda as a as a threat. Zero to Battlehawk. I want fifty men here immediately. On our way, Sarge. Sergeant Major, no! Return to Battlehawk! He can't hear us. He doesn't want to hear us. And an element here that will become 
be coming into play in the second half of the story. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Now take up defensive positions. And she calls him a man. We believe 13 is an unlucky number for some people. Oh dear. Poor old zero 13. Oh no. There. I was right. That's it. We've established these robots are absolutely gorgeous and perfect in every way. Let's just kill one of them. If nothing else, I think that's more villainous than anything else Zelda does through the whole series. You don't kill the Xeroids. You can't hit me, but I can hit you. And she does actually hit another Xeroid there in that effect shot. One of them was clearly blown to pieces, but uh, it's not acknowledged. Because later on, uh, Zero, Zero 13's uh, death is acknowledged in quite a quite a touching way. But we're not there yet. That's next week. Ten, ten. But we are now coming up to another feature, which I assume was meant to be a regular feature with this show, because why else would you introduce it in the first episode if you're not going to do it again? Using Hawkeye's section of Hawkwing as a, a suicide bomb. Sergeant Major? Withdraw your men and return to the battle, Hawk. That's an order. If Hawkwing is coming in, we must distract their fire. Come on, men. Give them everything you've got. Oh, that destroyed Zeroid in the effect shot is back again. Oh, well, he, he, he must have stitched himself back together. I don't know. No, Hawkeye. Dr. Kibbledroy's done a, a, a bang-up job on him between shots. Don't leave it too late, Katie. It's never too late, Tiger. I do love the incidental music in this scene as well. Nice and heroic uh, version of the, the Terrorhawks theme. And there we go. That's the Hawkwing uh, upper section blown the spaceship to bits. Fantastic, Katie. Just fantastic. And I suppose I should mention the uh, slightly longer edit of this episode that was seen in the VHS compilation with lots of little bits. Well, three or four little bits missing here and there. And the energy force is still there. I guess they were cut for time. Building. Fast. Oh, so they haven't destroyed Zelda's ship. There it is, directly over the Terrorhawk. Keep calm, baby. <laughs> okay. Nobody knew those would be his last words. That tiger's been snatched. Mary's in a green beam. Again, this is all abilities that we never see Zelda use again against the Terrorhawks. This ability to just teleport them at will. stupid doctor. Immobilize them in a green beam. No better than to attack us. But, we but speaking of green, that's a lovely close-up shot of Zelda. We just That's the first sight of her. You speak to me like that. And she looks hideous. A human being. Human? But aren't you? No, I am not. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, Tiger, you wouldn't look at Zelda and think, oh, are, you, are you sure you're not human? We were there robots, but soon our intellect was greater than that of our creators. So we destroyed them. You're android. Yes. We are androids in the mold of our creators. Based on the oldest and wisest. That 
is why we are so beautiful. That's another great shot as well of Zelda stroking her hair with her fingers and those, oh, those horrible claws. Are you receiving me? Mary, are you all right? This is Sergeant Major Zero calling for a copy. Doctor, what's your 1020? Well, he's gone. He ain't got one. The whole thing's totally beyond my comprehension. So it's nice that we're ending part one with, uh, you know, the Terrorhawks are utterly baffled. Zelda could have destroyed Terrorhawk and Battlehawk if she had a mind to it. Of necessity to pass your gunship. But they're more interested in just kidnapping Tiger. It'll blast us out of the sky. And my theory is that you've insufficient power left to reduce your ship's size and to maintain its force field. Correct. But they won't fire with you aboard. Another feature of early episodes. Um, he will. Tiger, I mean, the phrase I have a theory was always always prevalent throughout the show's run. But in the earliest episodes, he had a knack of coming up with these very unlikely theories and being, being proved right. I hear you, Doctor. Where are you? I also like that he sat on a cube in Zelda's ship. It has insufficient power to maintain its force field. If you open fire, you'll destroy it. So, open fire. That's an order, hero. <laughs> he won't fire. Not with you on board. You're coming with me to Mars, and then we'll take you apart to see what makes you tick. That's a pretty nasty threat. I'm only one of nine clones. Kill me, and there'll be another Einstein within 24 hours. <laughs> and she actually believes it. If someone said that to me, if I were the evil dictator trying to take over the world, I think, oh, maybe you're fibbing there. It's just thrown away such a casual introduction to the tiger clone concept. Doctor would not like us to start making decisions. But I do like the cliffhanger we're building to here because, you know... I must make the decision. This is a fairly standard sci-fi trope. Oh, the, the captain's on the enemy ship. Well, I've given the order to blow up the ship. And then you'd cut back to the other heroes and they'd be, Aah! but this time... Open fire. They actually do it. What have I done? They have opened fire. Yes, Zelda. This has got to be the end. Although those shots are taking a very long time to get anywhere near Zelda's ship. But that was the first episode of Terrorhawks Expect the Unexpected, part one. We have a to be continued on the start of the uh, end credits, noughts and crosses game. And... Yeah, I've spoken before about the problems with early Terrorhawks, and I've spoken about them here again, and it's, um... You know, some things really work. The effects are, are good. The, um... The Xeroids are perfect right out of the gate. Zelda is perfect right out of the gate. But the human characters are, with the possible exception of Hero, are not that fun to be around, just because either we don't know too much about them yet, or they're absolutely but ugly, case in point, Tiger Einstein. Um, if the story was stronger, that wouldn't be a problem. Since it's not, this isn't a, a superb opening to the series. I've got to say, I can understand why people were put off by this back in the day. The show would get better, but unfortunately it won't get better in part two, which we'll be seeing next week. Yay! Ah, oh, well, there. that means we know what's coming next week because it's a two-parter. And as the oh, rules of the yes. randomizer dictate, 
if we get a two-parter chris watches one part this week and one part Mm -hmm. next week so yes just one for you there really mike gray who loves terror so much (laughs) i hope he enjoys that and next week as well as a two-parter for him yeah exactly a fortnight of joy for mike yeah exactly yes look forward to it next week that's lovely thank you thank you chris now, over on Twitter, of mm-hmm. course, people have been hashtagging us, uh, Jerry Anderson Podcast, for example. Tone said, uh, have now listened to the two Catherine Shell interview episodes of the Jerry Anderson Podcast, back-to-back, another wonderfully rich and interesting character among the ranks of Anderson alumni. That's nice, isn't it? Uh, Lost mm. in Transition said, re-listening to the Jerry Anderson, uh, or rather, Jamie Anderson's interview with the legendary Shane Rimmer ah. on the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Absolutely terrific stuff from Shane. Yeah, it is nice to be able to go back and... Um, hear those voices again particularly those that uh, well we've lost since we started this podcast what was it a couple of years ago or so and Jeff Owen says uh, using geek cred in work again I had to give a company phone number to one of our uh, wardens and I saw that the number ended in 1999 did I say it as 1999 nope 1999 nope 1999 of course yes. <laughs> Very good. So, yeah, do uh, tag us, uh, me, Richard M. James, or him, I'm Jamie Anderson, uh, or him over there. Oh, he's lost his balance. Yeah, now the randomizer's out of the way. He's lost focus, I think. Chris Dalek. And I'll read out your tweets next time. Great. I look forward to all those tweets and more. Yeah. And particularly yeah. Kelvin Murray Part 2, actually. I'm kind of yes. looking forward to hearing more from him. And obviously, Terror Hawks, Expect the Unexpected Part 2. What's mm. not to love about... It's a, a week of Part 2s. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah exactly that's it you're quite right so uh, yeah. we'll see you next week in Jerry Anderson Podcast Pod 140 Part 2 uh, at Part 2 oh, no. <laughs> or 139 Part, part one, 2 sorry. also known as 140 yes. <laughs> email us podcast jerryanderson.co.uk follow us on Twitter tweet us with the hashtag hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast and uh, we'll be back in your ears next week shan't we Richard yeah definitely alright see you then bye bye Let's go. Spectrum is green. Um, what's your favourite two-part story of any series or movie ever? Oh, favourite two-part story. Well, it's got to be. I've got to go to Star Trek Next Generation and I've got to go to Best of Both Worlds, parts one and two, that I think Ooh. straddled the end of the third season and the beginning of the fourth, hmm. I think. Yeah, it's got to be that, definitely. I remember watching that and, and not being able to wait because it, it was literally... You had to wait, you know, months for the next season, yeah. not just n- next week. Yeah. How about you? No binging back then. No. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I, I I know I asked the question, but I now can't think of the answer. Mm. Um, well, surely it would be Death Watch Part 1 and Part 2 or Fire Within Part 1 and Part 2? Yeah, let's say Obviously. it was Death Watch Part 1 and Part 2. What did you like in particular about that? 
the fact that there were two mm. parts, I was quite a fan of. You haven't, you haven't seen it. Have oh, you? what's that? That sounds like the door. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes, uh, I'll have to convenient. go. Sorry. Bye, All bye. Right. To see you next week. Yes. Bye, bye. Bye-bye. See you next week. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. 